great singing this morning. What a joy to be able to sing with you of the greatness and these truths of God this morning. If you have your Bibles, would you open to the book of 3 John? There's no chapters in it, just 15 verses. We're not even going to look at the whole book this morning, only the first eight verses. So 3 John, that is page 1026 in your pew Bible. If you don't have a Bible, you can use that, and we would like to offer that to you as a gift as well. Uh, You can take that Bible home with you if you do not have a copy of God's Word. We'd love for you to have one to read and study throughout the week, and always welcome to come and ask us questions of it as you read it. Let's begin our time this morning by reading 3 John, verses 1 through 8. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, and that you may be in good health, as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Let's pray. Father, guide us with your spirit through the truth of your word. I pray that you will reveal it to us. I pray that you'll show us and teach us from it. And most of all, Lord, as we hear your word, may we not be hearers only, but doers of the word. May we seek to live this truth out this week. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever heard of something called decision paralysis or analysis paralysis? Most of us would just call it overthinking, overthinking. It happens when we have too many options on the table, too many things to choose from. And oftentimes what happens, you you would think, oh, the more options, the better it is, right? I mean, the, the more educated decision that I can make. I need all the options so I know which one's the best. But study has actually shown that for the human brain, for us and how we operate, the more options that we're given, the more likely we are to actually be fearful or afraid that we're going to make the wrong decision. We, 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 we struggle to know which one is actually the best decision, so sometimes we don't make any decision at all. Or we ask others' opinions. Or it just takes us a really long time. I mean, there's a lot of scientific ways to go about to, to understand this, but here's some two simple ways, right? The first one is, have you ever been to a restaurant and the menu's so large that you struggle to figure out where you want to eat? The first one that comes to mind is the Cheesecake Factory. <laughs> two, the owner of Cheesecake Factory put out a couple years ago that he promises to limit the menu to only 250 items. It will not continue growing. 250 items. You open the book of the menu and you think you know what you want. Most of us just go there for the cheesecake, right? And then you sit down, you're like, oh yeah, I have to eat first. And so you start flipping through this book. And what happens is we do the unthinkable. And maybe you are guilty of this. You flip through and you have a bunch of options in mind. And here's what you do. A complete stranger comes to your table. 
the waiter or the waitress. Sal knows where I'm going. I heard him. Okay? And, and here's what the waiter or waitress does. You, can I take your order? And you're like, uh, what would you suggest? Really? Do you want a stranger, someone you don't even know, to order your food for you? Like, what if, what if they love seafood and you hate it, in my case? And they offer all these food for options. They didn't help you at all, but we do. And we ask a complete stranger because we really don't know what we want yet. We're, we're in fear of ordering the right thing. We want to make sure we get the right thing. This happened to me recently coming back from Cambodia. Uh, Charlie and Danielle uh, Rose and I had a, the opportunity to go to Cambodia. And I was tasked with the responsibility to come up with a slideshow for pictures um, and video to present to you to be able to give you a picture of what the canes do there in Cambodia. And so I'm thinking, I have over 20 hours on an airplane. I have tons of time. I can create the video here. But I'd, I wanted the video to be awesome. I wanted it to be cool. I wanted it to be different. So I didn't just want to use iMovie or Keynote. I, just, I decided I'm going to, to buy an app for my iPad to make this the best video I can possibly imagine. And so I open up the app store. I type in video editor. Thousands of apps come up ranging from free to hundreds of dollars. And so I, I waste about an hour to an hour and a half of my life reading reviews and checking the prices and how, how easy are they to integrate with, with iPhoto and all of these things. And ultimately, after an hour and a half, here's what I did. Shut my iPad, turned it off, didn't buy a thing. Because I was in fear of buying an app that didn't work as well as what I already had for free, spending money on something that I didn't know how to use. I could have used 20 hours learning how to use this app and still not had a video to make. So I just kind of made a normal, everyday video in iMovie, put it together in Keynote, and let it go, right? I I was in fear. Well, kind of fear, right? But I I think we have this, this idea of decision paralysis in our Christian life when it comes to faithfulness. Faithfulness is just this really big, broad term that we use in Christianity today. And we all want to stand before our Heavenly Father one day and hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. So what does it mean to be faithful? Well, you need to obey the truth. You need to be faithful to the truth of God's word. Great. I just told you to turn to page 1026. It's a lot of pages. It's a lot of truth. That's a lot of things that God's going to hold us accountable for. And he's going to, by the way. But this morning, oftentimes what happens is we're like, I want to be faithful. And we don't make any decision at all. We don't do anything. In fact, we're like, okay, I'll go to church. I'll read my Bible. And and I hate to harp on those things because those are acts of faithfulness to God, right? Reading your Bible and going to church and being faithful. But is that all that makes up faithfulness to God? We, so we ask ourselves some questions when it comes to faithfulness. Am I, am I faithful? Can God look at my life one day and say, well done, my good and faithful servant? Am I missing anything in here? What, what is it that I might be missing? This is what Third John's going to help us answer this morning. As we come to this, this letter, it's a book, but this, this letter, it's written from one Christian brother to another Christian brother. It's written from someone that identifies himself as the elder to a guy named Gaius. Never heard of Gaius before, growing up. I didn't. It wasn't in any of my children's stories. It wasn't in, my, in any of my books that I read to my kids right now. Gaius is not in there. In fact, none of my friends looking for a strong biblical name for their children thought, ha, ah, Gaius. I want to name my son Gaius. Does anyone know anyone named Gaius? Just curious. Uh, oh, we have one. 
Awesome, Jim. All right, so we have, we have this guy named Gaius, but we have an entire book of the Bible written to him. Entire book of the Bible written to him, though most of us didn't know much about him or don't know much about him. In fact, we don't learn too much about him even in this letter. But it's not just any book of the Bible. This, this book was written by the elder. This is the apostle John. This is, this is the last this is the last apostle standing, writing this letter to this guy named Gaius. And here in this book, John is going to set Gaius up as, as an example, as a model of, watch, of what faithfulness to the truth, faithfulness to the truth looks like. So if you and I want to know what it looks like to be faithful to the truth, faithful to Christ, think, faithful to God, we need to look no further than to Gaius. And, and this isn't every way to be faithful, but I just want to share with us this, this morning and the few moments that we have two characteristics of faithfulness to the truth. The first one we're going to see in verses 1 through 4 is loving the truth. Loving the truth. And then in verses 5 through 8, we're going to see living the truth. Very simple. Loving the truth and living the truth. So let's begin by understanding the first characteristic of faithfulness, and that comes by loving the truth. John begins his letter by calling Gaius beloved, my, my dear friend. And he says, Gaius, whom I love. But this just isn't mere sentiment. This isn't, I love you and we're buddies. It, his love is rooted in something. It's grounded in something. And, and you notice that his love is grounded in truth. What does John mean when he says, I love you in truth? We know that God's word is truth. We know that everything in here is truth. What John is saying is, Gaius, I love you, because when we talk about truth, when we talk about God's word, when we talk about the gospel, we're talking about the same thing. We love the same God. We, we have the same passions. We share the same gospel. We're a part of the same mission, the same ministry. We, we believe the same scripture, and I love that about you, Gaius. We're connected because you love that. And then John continues in verse 2, and, and he has this very bold prayer for Gaius. Look at verse 2. He says, I pray that all may go well with you. That's like kind of your life. Like, I hope you're doing great, man. And that you may be in good health. He wants them to be healthy. But watch. I hope that everything is going well and that you're healthy as it goes well with your soul. Now, that's a, just a general greeting in the first century. In most letters, they have a, I hope you're doing well and I hope you're healthy. And then John adds this massive statement. I hope all that goes as well as it's going with your soul. Now, it's unfortunate that the health and wealth gospel, the prosperity gospel today, has completely hijacked this verse. And they take this verse and they say, see, God wants you, he wants you to be saved, he wants your soul, but he also wants you to be healthy and wealthy along with it. And I do believe that John's being sincere here and, asks, and actually saying, I hope you're doing well, and I, I hope you're healthy. But that's not his main point. He's just greeting him here. It did, we don't have to go too far in a scripture to, to understand that when Christ calls us to be his disciples, it's a life of sacrifice, right? What does Jesus say to his disciples in Matthew 6? If anyone wants to be my disciple, he must deny himself pick up his cross, and follow me. But Jesus doesn't even stop there. If you continue on, it says, whoever wants to save his life, he must lose it. 
And whoever will lose his life for my sake will gain it. And it will find it. And then he doesn't stop. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and what? Loses his soul. See, John, just like Christ here, is emphasizing Gaius' spiritual health. You know, one of the joys of being an elder here is the fact that we get to pray for you all a lot. And one of those times is we have two elder meetings a month, and one of those elder meetings we meet on Tuesday mornings at 6 a.m., and we call it a people meeting. And what we do is we actually take the directory, and we pray through sections of the directory on those Tuesday morning meetings. And we actually pray for your physical health. We pray for what's going on in your life if we know of struggles or difficulties or praises. And then we also pray for your spiritual. How are you doing spiritually? Your spiritual health. Can you picture with me if we were to pray for one another, ourselves included, and all of the members of Faith Bible Church in this way? Insert your name. I pray for, insert your name, John, that his business endeavors, that his relationships, that everything going on in his life, I pray that it goes as well as his soul is doing. I, I pray that only those things are only going as well, as healthy as his soul is. Would that be an encouraging prayer for you this morning? Or would you be scared to death if your job and your business endeavors and your family were only as healthy as your love for the truth? See, John's confident, so confident in this for Gaius that he prays this bold prayer for him. But if you see verse 3, we see where this comes from, where this boldness comes from. He says, I I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in truth. See, John's confidence in Gaius doesn't come from he just hears that he loves Jesus or that Gaius is a part of a, a strong, healthy church. It comes from this testimony that comes from these brothers. So we'll, we'll talk about these brothers a little bit later on, but these brothers have just traveled from Gaius's church, his town, his city, into John's. And when they get to John's church, they're so blown away by Gaius, his love for the truth, that they have to testify. They tell John, they tell John's church about this guy, Gaius, and how much he loves the truth. So much so that John says, you love the truth. Indeed, you are, watch, walking in it. You're walking in the truth. You're living it out. Gaius's love for the gospel, his love for truth, wasn't just intellectual. It wasn't just personal. It was seen. It was felt. It was relational. These brothers felt loved by him cared for by him. His love for the truth compelled his daily actions. It compelled him to live it out. In fact, John continues on in verse 4 and says, Gaius, I have no greater joy in my life than to hear that my children or my converts or, or those that used to be under my care have no greater joy than my children to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Okay, now, I told you my two points were loving the truth and living the truth. And walking in the truth is certainly living the truth, okay? So John's making this transition for us. But before we transition into that, 
I, I think I understand just on a smaller scale of what John is saying about Gaius. When he hears this news of this guy that loves Jesus so much that he's walking in it and living it out. I've had the joy of being the, the family pastor here for the last six years. And I love our teenagers. I love every one of them. No matter what, I love every one of them. But I have no greater joy than when I hear teens that are no longer in youth group anymore, they're gone, that they're serving God, that they're loving Jesus, right? That they step out of the home and, and they join a local church. Some of them are members here at Faith Bible Church. And they're in small groups and they're serving, they're teaching in junior church, they're working in nursery. They love the truth, they're sharing the truth, they're living the truth. Some of them are at colleges around and they're members of churches somewhere else. And they love Jesus and they're serving Jesus. And I have no greater joy as a pastor of this church than to see our youth grow up and love Jesus here and abroad. So I understand what John's saying here. And, and this is the testimony. This is the testimony of Gaius. Our testimony of how we love the truth matters. What's your testimony? How are you perceived by people? When people in this church hear your name or say your name, what are you known by? See, Gaius was known by his love for the truth and how he was walking in it, which we're going to see here in a moment. But what are you known by? What are you known by at your workplace? With your neighbors, with your family and relatives, by fellow church members? Our testimony matters. Our, our life and how we live must match our love for the truth, for Christ and his gospel. So we see in verse 3 and 4, John beginning to mix this idea of Gaius' love for the truth, for doctrine, for belief, with living that truth, living that doctrine. See, belief and practice, loving and living always go together in Scripture. Always, always, always. We can never separate and say, I love Jesus, but I'm going to do whatever I want. I love the truth of God's word, but I'm going to rebel against it. I'm going to do it my way. It doesn't happen. It's impossible. And so we transition, as John does, from loving the truth into living the truth. And living the truth sounds great, right? Great, let's go live the truth. This is like faithfulness. Be faithful. So here's what we want to do. We want to take the next few verses, verses 5 through 8, and see specifically how Gaius is living out the truth. And, and I believe we can live out the truth in the same way. Let's read all of verses 5 through 8 one more time and think of this in light of living the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified, there's that idea again, to, to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in the manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. So John gets very practical. Let, let me explain the way John 
explains Gaius' living of the truth. And at, right on the outset, he says, Gaius is displaying his love for the truth by living out the truth. And he's living the truth in the way he shows hospitality to these brothers. The way he shows hospitality. And remember, it's these brothers that came through Gaius' home and his city and his town to John's and testified of his love for them. But these brothers, this is who he's showing hospitality to in verse 3, are just the ones testifying. In verse 5, we see that they're brothers, but not only are they brothers, they're what? They're strangers. Gaius has no clue who they are. He doesn't know them. Verse 6, we see that these brothers, these strangers, they're on a journey. Verse 7, they're not just traveling the world to see how it's, what it's like and enjoying their life. They're actually on a journey for the sake of the name. They're on a journey for Jesus. Verse 8, John tells his church that they should support these brothers, these strangers, these men that are on a journey for the sake of the name of Jesus so that they can be partakers with them in the truth, in the spreading and the advance of the gospel. Today we call these people missionaries, right? I mean, that's what these men are. These, these men have gone out from where they reside and live, They've left their jobs, clearly. They're in complete need of support, and they've gone out for the sake of the name of Jesus, for the spread of the gospel. And Gaius is showing hospitality to them. Now, hospitality today and in the early church is, is drastically different. And I'm not going to go into too much detail, but today, hospitality is basically described as like having anyone into your home. I had someone in my home, I showed hospitality, right? Um, and we know there's different forms of hospitality, and there's some great books. The gospel comes, the house key, right? There's, there's a lot of different resources out there to, to show us what hospitality looks like today. But in the, in the first century, hospitality was never shown or given. Like, it wasn't hospitality to do with a family member or a friend. Hospitality was something that was shown and given to strangers, hospitality was actually the process in which a stranger became a guest. It's a a process where a stranger came to a guest. So they would be traveling, and some people, when they traveled in the first century, would actually send letters ahead of time to be like, hey, I'm your family member. Like, you have to welcome me in. And, And the reason they did that is because when they entered into a city or a town, they were marked as a stranger. And unless someone brought them into their home, they were a threat, and they were a danger to the community. Their life, their physical life was in danger by that community because if no one brought them in, they would be viewed as a threat and destroyed. They didn't want them in. And so it was important that as these men came into town, I mean, they're sacrificially traveling traveling for the sake of the gospel, and they come to Gaius' town, and Gaius says, hey, come to my house. You're no longer strangers. Hey, they're telling the community, they're telling the city, they're telling the church, these guys are safe, they're with me. And he brings them in. He gives them a bed. He gives them food. He encourages them. And they, in turn, are telling John all about how much Gaius loved them. How, how well he's showing hospitality to them. I mentioned earlier, we had the opportunity to go to Cambodia. And I know this is flipped because we went to the missionaries. But the Canes showed us this kind of hospitality. We came into their country, into their village, literally, right? And Brian, before we left, 
had never met me. I had never met him. We were complete strangers. And yet Brian got into his car with two of his little girls and drove and picked us up late at night at the airport, nine and a half hours to pick us up. Every single day he came and he would pick us up and he, he brought us into his life, into his home. We, we shared the table with him. Lydia fixed us meals and three of their kids were displaced from the table and ate on the floor so that we, as strangers, could be at their table. We laughed. We shared stories. We cried as we shared stories. They led us into their family life. We inconvenienced them. They sacrificed their family schedule, their school schedule, uh, their ministry schedule for us. And when we left them, after seven days of being with them, tears were shed this, this guy I had never met before. I'm like, I don't want to leave you guys. Why? We were no longer strangers. We, we were guests. But why were we, why, how can that happen in seven days? Because the Canes sacrificed everything to welcome us in. They, they shared with us their family life, their strengths and their struggles, their joys and their sorrows. And we shared the same with them. It was our commitment to the gospel here in Naples and their commitment to gospel there in Benglung, Cambodia that, that drew us together. And though we were strangers, after a few days, we were no longer strangers. And we can't wait for the Canes to come and visit us here at Faith Bible Church in January. But that's what it means to show hospitality, to, to make a stranger a guest. But John continues on. Uh, But before we continue on, let's think about hospitality for us for a second. How can you and I show hospitality today? I I don't want to give an exhaustive list, but here's here's a few ideas. If we, as members of Faithful Bible Church, truly love the truth, I believe we will consistently and faithfully put ourselves under the teaching of the truth, which we do, don't we? Every Sunday, right here, teaching of God's Word. But part of that is now to go live out that truth. And one of the greatest ways that we do that here is through small groups, right? So we, we love the truth. Let's learn it. Now let's live it. Let's get together as Christians. Let's talk about how we apply this truth. So in those small groups, have you ever, has it ever crossed your mind to talk to your small group leader if you're not one and say, hey, my home's available? Hey, use my home for small group. See, what happens here, specifically probably in Naples, but generally in the U.S., is we leave hospitality to those with bigger houses, with less kids, with easier schedules, with more money, as opposed to viewing our home as an opportunity for ministry. Open your home and show hospitality to your small group. Invite someone in for a meal. Have your neighbor over into your house. It will be awkward the first time, but that's okay. Show them the love of Christ by showing them hospitality. When, when missionaries come in, I hope the elders have an overwhelming number of emails coming in from our church family because they want those missionaries in their home while they're here for it with us. As opposed to, we need a home for the canes. They're coming in. Can anyone have a home? Is anyone home available? Right? Show hospitality. Open your home. That's what we see Gaius doing. And when he does, John's commending him for his faithfulness. Let's continue on. Look at the second part of verse 6. Not only do we live the truth in our hospitality towards gospel workers, 
but also in how we support gospel workers. The last phrase in verse 6 is grammatically complex and odd. He says, you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. What that word mean, those that phrase means is please. <laughs> please continue sending them on in a manner worthy of God. Like, Gaius, you're doing awesome. You're showing hospitality, and you're sending them out in a manner worthy of God. Please continue setting this example. You're doing a great job of that. And as we see that, as we see Gaius doing this, and John encouraging him to do this, we see how he is choosing to support them. Now, this idea of sending them out is seen throughout the entire New Testament. But just to give one example, um, the best example probably comes from Titus chapter 3 and verse 13. And it says, Do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See to it that they lack nothing. So, the command is to send them on their way. So, the, uh, these gospel workers come in, and he's, they're commanded to send them out, so support them, but to support them in such a way that they lack nothing. Here in our text this morning, it's almost to a greater degree, right? How, are we supposed to, how is Gaius sending them out? Gaius is sending them out in a manner worthy of God. Let's think for a second. How does God give to you and I? God gives to us sacrificially. What did God do for us? Well, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. God sacrificially sent his son Jesus to pay the price of our sins that we could not pay. God not only gave to us sacrificially, but God gave to us abundantly. Like He wiped away all of our sin when we turned from our sin and we placed our faith and trust in him. Not only that, but he gave us a seat in heaven next to his son, Jesus. We are co-heirs with Christ. We will forever live in heaven with our heavenly father. We're, we're adopted into his family. But he also gives to us faithfully. I mean, God is faithful to every one of his promises here in his word. God will not turn his back on you. He says he will keep us safe. This is exactly what it means to give in a manner worthy of God as we think about supporting and sending missionaries. It's passages like these that challenge our missions philosophy as a church. We actually don't have a ton of missionaries as a church. We'd love to have a ton of missionaries insofar that we can support them in a manner worthy of God insofar that we can support them in a way in which they lack nothing. So our, the missionaries that we support are limited because we want to be obedient to passages like this because we want to make sure that they lack nothing. But if we keep reading, we see why we should support full-time workers. So we have Gaius showing hospitality to gospel workers, missionaries. We have Gaius supporting them in a way that's worthy of God but why? Look at verse 7 and 8. For they have gone out for the sake of the name. These brothers aren't going out trying to make a, make a name for themselves, for trying to build their own kingdom, trying to build a following. They're not trying to build the biggest church they can find. They've gone out for the sake of the name, of Jesus Christ himself. Everything they do, they do for Christ. And that should compel us. That alone should compel us to give in a manner worthy of God, right? that they have left everything 
for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ. But he, he doesn't end there. He says, they don't take anything from the Gentiles or from the unsaved. This is the idea of they, they've left their jobs. They're not getting paid unless the church pays them, unless fellow Christians pay them, unless fellow Christians support them. And somewhere along the way throughout history, somehow we fall into this idea of like, if we can just give the missionaries the scraps from the table, that's what they've chosen to do. It's their fault they didn't go get a full-time job. It's their fault that they don't have a 401k plan. It's their fault that they don't live in Naples, Florida with a sweet house and they live in Cambodia with no AC. What were they thinking? They should have been more like us. So let's give them some scraps from our table. That's not what we have happening here. This is support them in a manner worthy of God. Send them out in a way God would send them out. They have sacrificially given up everything for the name. They say, I will not receive money from the Gentiles, from the unsafe people, because I want to have a ministry for the sake of the gospel with them. And I know we're talking about missionaries here, but I also feel that we could probably add your pastors, your staff pastors involved in this as well. Your staff pastors receive nothing from the Gentiles. They've given that up to minister full-time for the sake of the gospel. And I am really thankful that over my six years here that this church has been committed to, to paying your pastors in such a way that we lack nothing. We have lacked nothing in our time here. Nothing. And that's because of the faithful giving of this body, of these people. And, and you, you know what's happening? Because Gaius gave in this way, it freed these men up to freely and openly share the gospel without having to worry about making money. Not having to worry about where the next meal comes from or what's going to happen in the future. These men show up and Gaius sends them on their way in a manner worthy of God. And he, 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 there's no specifics. These men just are overjoyed with what Gaius did for them because they show up to John's church and they just like, they're, they're gushing about Gaius' love for them and how he's showing hospitality to them and how he's loving them and how he's supporting them. But look at verse 8. Therefore, we ought to support people like these. We ought to. This is our dutiful responsibility. This is our continual obligation as, as believers in Christ. We are obligated as Christians to support those that are going out for the sake of the name. Let me say it this way. Faithfulness to the truth, love for the truth, compels us to support and care for gospel workers in an abundant way, in a God-honoring way. But not only that, he keeps going. Look how he concludes verse 8. He says, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. This is an unbelievable truth here. Most of you in this room cannot quit your job and become a full-time pastor. God hasn't called you to that. Many of you can't quit what you're doing and go to Cambodia and go to China and go to Czech Republic and go to Argentina for the sake of the name. But John says that everyone that supports in a way that is worthy of God, supports these gospel workers, is a part of that work. It's as if you're there with them. God is attributing that to you. 
I am so thankful that God laid it on the hearts of many individuals, individuals of this church that love the truth, that love the gospel, and they wanted to live the gospel in such a way that they actually physically wrote a check out to Faith Bible Church. And in the memo line, they said, Cambodia ministry trip. That freed Charlie and Danielle up and myself to, to go on that trip without thinking of raising support and raising funds and all of this. It took that burden completely off of us so we could, we could concentrate leading up to that trip. What's the best way we can encourage the Canes? What's the best way we can serve them while we're there? We weren't worried like, how are we going to pay for this flight? And how are we going to stay here? And, and we're you were abundant in your giving in such a way allowed us to go freely. And we're very thankful for that. We're thankful for a church that's generous in that way. We understand that obedience to all of Scripture, faithfulness to all of Scripture, is the fullest expression of faithfulness to the truth. But don't let that keep you from living out truth in these two simple ways. This week, we can love this truth, but we must also be active in living this truth out. I'm going to close with a few ways that we can actively do this. You and I will never love this truth or live this truth unless we're first in Christ. I mentioned this verse earlier, but God says that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. No one that's dead can love anything. No one that's dead can live for anything. They're dead. You need to be made alive through the blood of Jesus Christ. This is what these gospel workers are going out to explain to people. To, they're, they're, they want to share the good news for the sake of the name, and that that name is the name of Jesus Christ, who came from heaven to this earth to live a perfect life, to die on the cross, to pay the penalty of our sin, which is death. And only a perfect sacrifice could do that. And the Bible calls us to turn from our sins and place our faith and trust in Christ alone to save us, to watch, give us new life to give us spiritual life, to give us eyes to see appetites that love Christ and his word. Most of you might, some of you might be thinking in this room, why would I write a check for somebody else to go across the world? Why would I give to the church? There's a lot of churches that have a bad track record of what, track record of what they do with money. Why would I make my hard-earned money and give it away to other people in this way? It won't make sense to you unless you have Christ living inside of you. But if you have Christ living inside of you, it should make sense to you. It, it, it's not just our joy, remember? It's our obligation. It's our obligation for every believer who is in Christ to support the work of the ministry, to support gospel workers in this way. So first, we, we need Christ in us so that we can love this truth and live this truth. But for those of us who are in Christ, do you love the truth? The author of Psalm 119 says, How sweet are your words to my taste, like honey to my mouth. Psalm 19 says, More to be desired they are than gold, than much fine gold. I love your truth and your word more than money, more than nice stuff, more than great things. That's what gives us the ability then to give up fine gold and money and stuff for the 
gospel workers who gave it all up for the sake of the name. So this week, develop a love for your word, for God's word, by saturating yourself in it, by reading to it, and reading it, and listening to it, and talking about it, and discussing it with your kids and your family. Talk about it around the table. I know Deuteronomy chapter 6 is for parents to, to children, but listen to the picture that we have in Deuteronomy 6. It says, and these words, ready, that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And, and this is what we should do with the word of God, with, with truth. We shall talk of them when we sit in our house, when we walk by the way, when we lie down, when we rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hands. They shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. We saturate ourselves with the truth and pray that God will give us a love for his truth. And as God grows that desire and that love for the truth, may it never be intellectual. May it never be pretty. May it never be just personal. Our love for the truth must come out in our relationships and how we show hospitality to people and and how we support gospel workers. So this week, let's live the truth in two ways, two simple ways to live the truth that we've just seen in this text. Number one, through hospitality. And I know I've mentioned it, but this afternoon, really, go home and look at your schedule. What part of your personal family schedule can you sacrifice to have someone inside of your home? right? Practically speaking, how can you open your home to somebody and care for somebody and pray with somebody, encourage somebody by sharing with them your life? You don't have to prepare a sermon or a devotional or just have them in your home. Enjoy being with one another as God's people. Have someone in the church, have a neighbor, have a friend, have someone that's unsaved. Here's here's another really good expression. On November 2nd, Mateus is gathering a group of people. I have no idea how many he has yet. We're asking for 40. But I think he'd be okay with 60. Okay? Think about the expression of hospitality and service. It would be for you to give up a Saturday, to get up early and drive over there. I believe it starts at 8 a.m. and work from 8 a.m. to 2 or 4 and serve. According to this text, You setting up and tearing down, serving tables and food, being an usher and helping teenagers get to the right seats and all that, what you're doing is you're freeing up those that are preparing right now to teach and preach teenagers about the gospel and about truth. You're freeing them up to be able to do that. Because apart from those serving in those ways, those very practical, tangible ways, those men could not do that job. And so what I want you to understand is those that are preparing to teach and preach that weekend and those that serve are equal in value to your heavenly father. They are not of more importance because they're preaching the word of God. They need servants to serve. What do you have going on November 2nd that's more important than going out for the sake of the name? It's two hours. It's not Cambodia. It's not China. But it's the same thing. What an expression of love of the truth by living it out in a very simple way that, that way. You can sign up with Mateos in the lobby right after the sermon. But it's an expression of living the truth, of loving the truth. 
But not only can we give through showing hospitality and serving, but by giving. And this isn't a message on giving, right? It's a message on faithfulness to the truth. But we, we live out the truth. We show our love for the truth by how we share what God has given us as Christians. And we give to the church because you can trust these elders of this church because they love the truth. And they're going to take the money that you give this church and they're going to invest it in gospel workers of the church and in, in, in missionaries. And they're going to invest it in them for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ. And they're going to invest in people who have given up money from the Gentiles for the sake of the gospel. And it's, it's collectively all of our money that's combined that's fulfilling the Great Commission across the entire world. And as you give, as you give, you're partakers of the truth. You, you might not be able to go, but you can give. Some of you can do both. Some of you should give up your jobs and go. Right? Even a, a greater expression of love for the truth is to live it out yourself in that way. So you ask, well, how much should I give? 10%. Just kidding. There's no number here, right? But he doesn't say. He says, okay, here's how you should give, in a manner worthy of God. So this afternoon, after you've checked your schedules and opened your schedules up to have someone in your home, now you can have a discussion about money. Isn't that fun to have with your spouse, right? Or by yourself even. Ask yourself, do I give in such a way, in such a manner that's worthy of God? So that these workers of the truth lack nothing. I have no idea who gives what. But every one of us should be evaluating our giving by that standard. Do I give in a manner worthy of God? May we be Christians who give as God does, sacrificially and abundantly and faithfully. Let's pray together. God, we praise you for your word and your truth. God, we recognize that we need Jesus to give us a love for truth. And God, we need Jesus and his grace and his power to help us live this truth out. So God, may Faith Bible Church be known for its love for the truth and the way in which it lives out the truth. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for your goodness and your grace in our life that we do not deserve. May we faithfully love and live the truth this week. In Jesus' name, amen.